You know, I've never truly been hungry to my recollection. I, I remember being hungry to a certain extent. I remember having the flu one time, or maybe a week or so, all I had was fluids and crackers. You probably remember that to a certain extent for you. I remember missing a meal now and then. Obviously, by the looks of me, I'm well nourished and I get to eat nice and fine, and I'm very blessed and thankful for that. But you know, I've never been truly hungry. We're going to talk about some people tonight who are truly hungry. People had to look at their children. They had to look at them and say, I have to be able to provide for you today. I know you haven't eaten in several days, but there's nothing I can do about that. And I don't know what, what it would feel like from a mom or dad's perspective to have to look at your children and say, I, I can't feed you today. I don't have the supplies. I don't have the resources. I don't have the ability to do that. All the food that we have is gone. In fact, when we look at the text in just a little bit, the Bible says that their faces were pale as a result of not eating for quite some time. If you've ever seen anyone who's close to starvation or who's going through a significant time where they were hungry, you know that, that look that they have, that emaciated look that they have. And we understand, obviously, that food, the sustenance that we have, and we thank God for it each and every day, it's a big part of who we are and what we do, and we simply can't live without it. If you're like me too, you, you go to Save Mart or Food for Less or Vons, Foods Co., whenever you need something, you take it off the shelf and you throw it in the basket, you go up and you write a check, you use your debit card, your credit card, you pay for it, you go home, and you make whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you need, whatever you feel like eating that night. Well, these people we're going to talk about tonight, everything they had food-wise was gone. You see, in their culture, in their lifestyle, everything they had, they had because they grew it, because they made it. You may think for some of you back from your days when you worked on a ranch or you worked on a farm, if you didn't grow it, you weren't able to eat it. These people, their entire life surrounded this food source. And this food source had now been taken away from them. So they could no longer feed their children. I think we can understand drought when it comes to the valley. I think we understand what that means. And we understand how important water is for everything that we do. These people had no water. And we understand we have no water, you have no food, you have no food, you have no sustenance, and if you have no sustenance, you have death. And I think living here in the Central Valley, we understand this chain of events, and we understand exactly how this works, because we've been very close many years to not having any water for ourselves. Their livestock. And we think about livestock, maybe sometimes the thoughts that come to us are again when we go to Save Mart, we see that rack of ribs, and we see those, those hamburgers or those steaks, and maybe that's as close as we get to livestock. But these people, as we're going to study about livestock, that was their whole world. They raised them, they ate them, the, 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 the milk, the sustenance that they got from a lot of them came directly from these animals. And because there was no food, because there were no crops, the livestock died as well. And this is the situation that we can see as we begin our study tonight, but it doesn't stop there. I don't know how many of you like dogs. I don't. 
fact, last night I spent a significant time debugging our house. We had a black widow and little brown cockroach infestation in the garage and front house area. And made a trip to Home Depot and tried to get rid of them as much as we can because in our culture, bugs aren't something that we like. But I seriously doubt any of us have been bugged, no pun intended, as much as these bugs bug the people we're going to talk about tonight. You see, we think of this as a grasshopper, but truly this is more of a devastation. This is more of what's called a locust in the Bible. And we can see as this book we're going to talk about in just a minute, as it opens up, there's complete devastation because of these creatures. We can see that they're cutting, that they're, that they're swarming, they're all over the place, they're hopping. Can you imagine just trying to get out of bed in the morning, they're hopping on your bed, they're infiltrating your house, they're out in the garage, they're out in your community. You're trying to put your clothes on and they're hopping in and out of your shirt or your pants. They're in the water supply, they're absolutely everywhere and they're devastating. In fact, it says that they're stripping, or your version may say consuming, everything in their sight. As a result of this, you can imagine this dramatically changed the landscape and the, the lifestyle of the people. As we're going to study tonight, it shows that sorrow, true godly sorrow and anguish were a result of this devastation. It was heard everywhere. Small children to adults. In fact, the children were told, remember this day. Tell your children about it. Tell your children's children about it because it was so significant you need to remember it. Perhaps the thing that bothers me the most about this significant event, it was the people's fault that this occurred. They had moved away from God. God was no longer important to them. They were kind of in that conundrum that many of us become involved in where we have to make that decision every day we get out of bed. Are we going to follow God? Or are we going to have that not God today type of attitude? Are we going to do what's right? Are we going to make God that priority in our lives? Are we going to listen to Him? Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to serve Him? Are we going to make those choices that are going to be pleasing to God? Or are we not going to? And these people at this moment in time, as the book of Joel opens up, were not making God a priority in their lives. They were saying, not today, God. Not today, God. So Joel comes on scene. God sends Joel. God loves his people. And he tells them, you've got to make a choice. Either you decide not God and you suffer the consequences and you think that this is bad, it's going to get worse. Or you repent. Or you repent. And we're not to the application portion just yet. But I think we can make application right here. Because I think all of us, to a certain extent, are right here. Maybe there's calamities in our life that certainly God has not caused. And we'll talk more about that. There are challenges in our lives. There are frustrations. There are things we wish we could control. There are things that we wish we could eradicate. There's those diseases, those deaths in our family, those things we just wish simply were not there. And we can have the attitude that not God today. Not God today. Or we can repent. We can change those things. We can decide that this moment moving forward, I'm going to live for God with every ounce of my being. This is where the people were at when Joel comes on scene. 
Joel is a wonderful book, and if you remember, Cliff and I are going to start walking through what we call the Minor Prophets. And I don't know why we call them the Minor Prophets, because they have such a major role. And I don't know if you can remember the last time you studied Joel. Joel has a wonderful message. And it's something that all of us can gain application through, because all of us, to a certain extent, are exactly where these people are. Is it going to be God, or are we going to live for God? Joel calls him to repentance. So for a few moments tonight, turn to the book of Joel, if you would. We're going to walk through this little three-chapter book. We're going to highlight some things that I think are truly important. And we're going to walk out here, hopefully feeling rejuvenated with some applications so you can walk out of here choosing God each and every day for as long as God's going to give us here on this earth. Joel is something we don't know a lot about. And I think it's interesting as we look at the book of Joel, we don't know a lot about Joel. In fact, if you look at this, it's not so much even about Joel, the book is. And the book isn't so much about the people that Joel goes to. The book is largely about God. And I want you to envision a great, big, wonderful, awesome, loving, just, merciful God with His hands truly outstretched saying, I love you. Come back to me. This is what we're seeing in Joel. But at the moment that Joel arrives, the people are saying, not God, not today. We're going to do our own thing. Joel writes this book right around 835 B.C., which is roughly 800 years before Christ comes on scene. It's roughly around the time of Solomon, which we talked about a little bit this morning. And this is when he comes on scene. If you remember, we have a northern kingdom of Israel and we have a southern kingdom of Judah right around this time. He goes to the southern kingdom of Judah. The king that likely was reigning on the throne at this time was Joash. Again, not a lot of information, but to put it in the timeline, this is roughly where he was. And the theme, everything about this book is about repentance. If you remember all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the utopia, the perfect society where sin was not present. We see sin entered in. We see that the earth was destroyed and started over. We see the children of Israel were put into captivity because of their wickedness. And we fast forward hundreds of years until here we are now. There's an, an up and a down. And constantly God's important, not God today. Coming back to God, God not today. And it goes back and forth, back and forth until we see where we are here. Where God again is calling His people with arms wide stretched saying, I love you, come back to me. And I think what's interesting among all the other things we're going to talk about is the relationships that you and I have. Whether it's friendships, whether it's relationships with co-workers, every one of them, if we were to treat them like these people treated God, I think it'd be safe to say that they, at some point, would turn their heads away. At some point, they would get tired. I'm tired of you abusing me. I'm tired of you doing what you're doing to me. I'm tired of you mistreating me. I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't get kicked in the teeth all the time. Because we can see here, God is not that way. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's calling them to repentance with His arms wide stretched, saying, Come back. I'm waiting for you. I love you. And one of the major things we can see, the challenge that they had, the sin that was permeating most likely the most for these people was idolatry. 
And it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that because it's not necessarily something that we have challenges with us today other than money can be an idol, entertainment can be an idol, time away from God, any other priority other than God can be an idol. But here it was all consuming. It was, it was all encompassing. It was completely a way of life and a lifestyle for them where they completely turned away from God. We can see that idols were a huge part of what they were struggling with. Let's look at chapter 1. And I want you to get a good idea of what's going on here specifically with them. We can see complete devastation. Absolute, complete devastation in Joel chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 2 and just read a couple of verses here so you can see what's going on. Joel chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Here Joel says, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. You see, this is so significant. Joel wants them to remember this event as a deterrent, to let them know how important God is and how they've left Him down. Verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust has left and destroyed, the locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drunkards of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut from your mouth, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lion's. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers. For the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field, has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, and all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. In other words, complete devastation. There's, there's nothing that's going to be left for them to eat, to drink, to develop, to have sustenance in. And again, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are so used to a Vons and a Save Mart and some kind of food source where we simply drive down and we park and we go in with our shopping cart and throw what we want in the shopping cart. If you didn't have it, you didn't grow it, you weren't going to be able to utilize it. And this is the situation that they're in. So I want you to see the complete devastation that's facing them here. Again, have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been truly hungry where you didn't know where your last meal was going to come for days or for, for weeks at a time to where you have to look at your children or, or your spouse and say, Honey, I don't know what we're going to do. Those are chilling things to think about. But this is the situation that they were in. Verse 3, we start seeing the call to repentance. Joel tells them this is the situation. This is how you're, you've been living. He's basically saying, how's it working for you? Everything working out? It doesn't look like it. Everything's gone. Everything's destroyed. Your animals are dying. Your people are dying. There's no water. There's no food. You're, you're living without God. And this is not the way you're supposed to be doing it. So in verse 3, he continues and tells them a call for repentance. Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children. And their children 
to another generation in verse 13 and following. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in past the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offerings and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a feast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and his destruction from the Almighty it comes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the devastation that they're facing? And now they have to make that choice. They're, they're rethinking the decisions they've made, they're, they're rethinking the lifestyle that they've been living. They're rethinking all of those things, thinking it hasn't been working out for us. We've done all this without God. That relationship with God is so important, and I'm missing it. The bigger application, the bigger thing here, God is telling us that you think this is bad. What you have waiting for you, what's coming down the road if you don't repent, is that much worse. I know I use a lot of illustrations regarding my kids being a dad and having three kids I love more than anything. To me, it makes complete sense to try to think of something that's, 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 that's very common sense. We all punish our children because we love them. We all discipline our children because we love them. When they, when they make a decision that's not right, you know, you have to pull out from the toolbox, it's going to be the spanking, the timeout, taking the phone away, or whatever course of action we have to let them know, you've got to make a correction here. Because what you've done, if it's left uncorrected, we know as parents it's going to snowball into something else, into something else, and get bigger, and get worse, until the consequences are so enormous and so severe that they're truly going to be hurt as a result of it. So as parents, we understand. We have to intervene. We have to discipline. We let them know, this punishment may seem pretty bad, but if you don't change, well, life's going down the road is going to be what Joel is telling them. Who's God is telling them through Joel? You've got to repent. You've got to make a change. You've got to do something different because this is not working out. Sold me to uh, chapter 2 verses 1 and verses following. The day of the Lord is presented here. And I think it's interesting to show the day of the Lord here. There's a lot of poetic language you'll see here in Joel. Some historians and some authors think it's possible that he's talking about a future event such as someone else, another army, another civilization coming in wiping them out. He could be referring back to the actual invasion of the locusts and continued hardships there. Or he could simply be using poetic language. But the message is clear here that there's something else that's waiting for you that's going to be worse if you don't change. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, their like has never seen before, no will again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind him a flame burns, a land is like the Garden of Eden before them. But behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, as with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of a flame, and fire devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Joel is trying to use vivid 
imagery here to let them know again, you've got to repent, you've got to make a change. It's almost that, that spanking, that time out, that taking your phone, letting them know that this may seem bad, but where you're going, the road you're going down is going to be tremendously, tremendously worse. You've got to make a decision. Is it going to be not God continuing down the same road, or are you going to repent? They have to make a decision. Chapter 2, verses 12 and following, Joel urges them to come back to God. Chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Do you understand what he means by that? Rend your hearts, not your garments. If you remember the culture at that time, the Old Testament, it was common for them to have a physical demeanor to show their inward or their internal feelings. So they would take their clothing and they would remove them. They would, they would rip them apart. They would put ashes upon them to have that somewhat of emaciated, distraught, sorrowful, sad look. He's letting them know that that's not what I need of you. I need you to rend your hearts. I need you to change your ways. I need you to make sure that the lifestyle, the decisions, the demeanor, the heart, the person, the motivation that you are, it's all about God now. It's not about the selfish desires that you had through idolatry and the other challenges that they would have been dealing with at that time. Again, I want you to envision God. This is the same God we serve now. I want you to envision God with His arms stretched out saying, Return to me. Like we see in the prodigal son we like talking about so very much. Return to me. I still love you. I still care for you. I need you to repent. I need you to turn to me. God makes a promise as he continues and still in chapter 2, verses 18, where he says this, Then the Lord became jealous for his land. Had pity on his people, the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil. You will be satisfied and will no more make you a reproach among the nations. He's telling them he's going to give relief. He's telling them that he still loves them. He's telling them He's still going to minister to them. He's still going to take care of them. He's going to remove this affliction from them. All they have to do is repent. Does that not sound again like a parent, like a child? He said, all you've got to do, you've got to stop stealing cookies from the cookie jar. That's all you've got to do. All you've got to do is treat your brother nicer. All you've got to do, you can fill in the blank. This is what Joel, God through Joel, is telling them. Giving them a promise. You repent. You come back to me. My arms are open. But it takes action on their part. It takes action on our part. God giving them that promise. In chapter 3, verses 18 through verses 21, I want to read. And then we'll start bringing this to a close. Chapter 3, verses 18. He talks about the blessings of God's people. Again, what they're going to inherit and receive. And it says, And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine. The hills shall flow with honey and with milk. And all the steam beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water from the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Remember, these people are starving. They're dying. Their livestock is gone. Their sustenance has been removed. 
they're likely watching one another die. From Abel, it will be the children. God is saying, He's got to come back, and all these things are going to be yours. All these things you can enjoy because of the love that I have for you. All of these things are within your reach. In other words, God's saying, It's your move. I've showed you my cards, I've showed you how much I care about you. But it's your move. You've got to make that change. You've got to repent. This is so timely. Because although it's highly unlikely, the Lord is going to send a swarm of locusts to eat everything that we have. We know that's not going to happen. But we have Jesus Christ. We know because of that sacrifice, that intercession that He did for us, that the sins that we have are now gone. We know that we no longer have to pay that price. But we also understand there's action on our part. And I want to go over just a couple of things that I want you to walk away from. And I want you to see the parallels here. But I want you to perhaps more understand even more importantly, this is the same God. This is the same God of both the arms. Who's willing to take us in. Who's willing to take us back repeatedly. All we have to do is repeat. Just like those people back then. Chapter 2, verses 12, verses 13 show this specifically. For repentance is such a key thing here. And he makes these remarks, chapter 2, verses 12 and verses 13. Now, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I really enjoyed Cliff's points this morning. I really think he was right on talking about emotions and talking about lamenting and talking about sadness. We, unfortunately, as Christians, do not lean upon one another as much as we should. James chapter 5 talks about how important that is to confess one another to our sins, to reach out for strength, to let one another bear the burdens. If I'm having difficulty, the expectation, the command is that you're going to help pick up that burden for me. It's a blessing for you to be able to do that, but it assists me as well. This is what God is talking about with Joel. Let him help. Let him take that burden away. But again, it requires effort on our part. And I think so many of us at so many points in our lives are at this point where it's too much about not God. I don't have time today for God. God just does not fit into my schedule. God has to be our schedule. Our life has to be God. It has to surround Him in every aspect of those kinds of things. We have to repent. We have to repent. Second, I want you to notice this. There are times in your life where you will feel like you do not need God. I promise you that. I know that's the way I feel at times. There are times when everything is going great. We have lots of water. All our livestock are doing fine out there in the grove. Our cornfields are good. Plenty of, plenty of food in our belly. Everything is going well for us. Our bank account has more zeros on it perhaps than, than it ever has been. There are going to be times in our life when we feel like we are so self-sufficient that God does not need to play a part. Besides, God only for people that really are having problems and challenges, right? Like the people here in Joel. No. God's for all of us, and God's for the ups, for the downs, the ins and the outs. Just like we saw with Israel. They were up and they were down. And they were up and they were down. God still sat there with his arms out, waiting for them to come to their senses, waiting for them to come home. 
Don't get bamboozled into thinking that God is only needed when things are bad. God is needed all the time to give us direction, to give us advice, to give us that wisdom, to give us that guidance, to give us that reassurance, to give us that comfort, to give us everything that we need to make sure that we are pleasing to Him in all that we do. We all need God always. Chapter 2 perhaps is the most important point I think I want to make. Chapter 2 mentions the day of the Lord. And again, there's a lot of poetic language here. It could be uh, an army that was going to conquer them if they didn't actually overturn it. It could go back to the original locust invasion and the challenges they were having there. It's difficult to tell. But one meaning is very clear here. If the people didn't repent and they thought they had it bad at that time, if they didn't repent, the future was going to be I want you to make application to your personal life, wherever you're at with that. There are challenges, there are struggles, there are situations, there are things that we don't call for, whether it's the broken washing machine and, and there's no money to fix that, whether it's the death of the family, whether it's the bankruptcy, whether it's the health problem that you simply just had a challenge with and weren't expecting. We have to understand that all of those things can be diversions away from God. They can cause us to, to get mad and blame God. It would have been very easy for these people to say, I'm going to blame God. I'm not going to change my life. I'm still going to be not God. God's still not going to have a part in my life. I want you to understand that's one of the tools Satan has in his toolbox he can pull out. I want you to understand that we can become discouraged. Our faith can waver because of the challenges that we have here. And the failure to lean upon one another like we should. Judgment is going to be worse, meaning following God to the very best of our abilities for every breath, for every day, for every hour He gives us while we're here to make sure that we are the servant that we need to be as long as we are here. Because what's waiting for us, again, we can make, make application with Joel. We think we have it bad now, whatever situation we have now, eternity in hell. Not being able to go to heaven with one another. Not being able to be in eternity in heaven with God. Obviously, it's going to be worse. Last but not least, chapter 3, verses 20 and verses 21. I want to end on a high note here. I want to, I want to end here with showing you what the hope is that He promises. Chapter 3, verses 20 and verses 21. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all nations, I will avenge their blood Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. What he's trying to say here, coming back to God, God with His outstretched hands, the blessings that we will inherit as a result of that, there's hope. Understand before Christ died for us, we had no hope. There was no way we could fix that. There's no way we could repay the debt. There's no way we could make, make uh, uh, any difference with those kinds of things that we've done. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. But because of Christ, we have hope. And that again, that means that repentance, that changing of our life, serving God, living for Him to the fullest of our abilities. That's what we need to do. That's what's important. And just for a moment, right before we close, I want you to think about Joel. I want you to think about the message that he proclaims here. I want you to think about what that means personally in your life. I don't know what you're going through. Conversely, you may not know what I'm going through. 
All of us are going through challenges. All of us have situations in our lives that can potentially take a hold of us and kind of take us out of the game, the Christianity game. We have to make sure that repentance, changing our lives, every day when we get out of bed, make sure that we, that we choose God, not go down the not God path, but we choose God, make Him our priority is what we need to make sure that we're doing. So let's close on this note. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Let's just assume you're not a Christian and you're here tonight. I want you to think about the reasons maybe why you're not a Christian. I want you to think about the situation that you're in. I want you to think about maybe what could be lying for you down the road if you don't change the situation that you're in now. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're dabbling with this Christianity. Maybe you're not really sold on it. Maybe you're really thinking it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to kind of show up when I want to show up. And I'm going to kind of just, just do a little bit here, a little bit there. I want you to think about, again, is this the message that Joel is proclaiming? Is this the message that he's trying to give us? Is this the message God is giving us through the prophet Joel? It's the way I see it and the way I study it. Christianity, repentance, the change, the serving. Everything we can do to the best of our ability is something he expects of us wholeheartedly to be pleasing to him. So if you're here tonight, if you want to become a Christian, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you believe that with all of your heart, and you're going to live out your life every breath and every hour, every day that they give you to be the best servant you can be, you can confess Christ tonight. You can repent, change your life. You can be baptized. If you're here tonight and yet Christianity again has not been as strong as it needs to be for you, I'd like to urge you to think about Joel, the message that he gives, the relief and the blessings that God offers to those who repent and those who follow him. So regardless of the category that you're in, if it pertains to you, we'd love to help you any way we can. Please think about these things while together we stand. We sing. Living below in this old sinful world.